Hello and welcome aboard the Galant Says Podcast, live on Twitch on April 20th, 2022. A show also available via podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. Like it, follow it, rate it, review it, whatever you gotta do. Please do it for me and my cat. On today's show, we're gonna talk about Debo Samuel, apparently wanting out of San Francisco, a social media account that may be too dangerous to be trusted, and a possible dual MMA style in baseball, a sport that sure could use some more WWE-style theatrics. But I want to begin with something that I just saw a couple of moments before jumping online. And look, you got to be watching this stuff, twitch.tv slash Galan says to actually see the video version of it. But... Bobby Wagner, former Seattle Seahawks linebacker, was on the Rich Eisen show. And on that show, he made some interesting comments about, first off, his feelings about Seattle staying in it, which he wanted to do. And a little Russell Wilson talk. And Russ departs to go to Denver. Did you get any heads up about that? Or you just learned about that too? Well, no, I knew about it. The funny thing was, um, you know, he actually called me uh, a few days before, maybe even a week before, and just, you know, asked me what, what was my thoughts about about uh, going there. And I was just like, I, I don't I don't have any thoughts. Like my, my heart is in Seattle, so I ain't, I ain't really went that far. And so I knew that it was it was really close for him to call me and, and kind of to ask me a question like that. I specific felt like to going to Denver, Denver as a specific yeah. location? Specifically. And that happened in like February or something like uh, that? No, it happened like, I'm not sure the exact time, but it happened before uh, before it happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew I knew there was a chance that that was going to happen. So um, I was just like, okay, well, he's probably leaving. Yes. So, <laughs> he's probably leaving. So uh, right. I, I should probably get prepared for sure. Right. So that is uh, Bobby Wagner again on the Rich Eisen show. Of course, uh, the Twitter account that posted this, this is Sports on Tap Seattle. I guess they had to add that music in the background, whatever. It was fucking terrible. But uh, Bobby Wagner retweeted that, now a member of the Los Angeles Rams wearing number 45, saying, to clarify, Russ wasn't recruiting me, just two close friends talking. We both talking about wanting to stay in Seattle. Just didn't happen that way. And I wanted to dissect a couple of things from the tweet because his tweet, making me aware of the video is actually what I had thoughts on two close friends talking. I didn't get the vibe that Bobby Wagner would be close friends with Russell Wilson. In fact, I didn't get the vibe that Russell Wilson is close friends with anybody on the team has never come across that way. He is not exactly the most real seeming dude to put it lightly. We both talking about wanting to stay in Seattle just didn't happen that way. I could buy into Bobby Wagner maybe wanting to stay, at least until he found out that the Seahawks weren't going to have a quarterback this coming season. But the idea that Russ was talking about wanting to stay in Seattle, I find to be complete bullshit. No. This is something that he wanted to do for, I think, a year plus. And while I had my own doubts about whether or not he could accomplish it, the Seahawks never wanted to trade Russell Wilson. He forced their hand. Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson talking about wanting to stay in Seattle. Sorry, I don't I don't buy that for a second, at least when it comes to one uh, Russell Wilson. Next story. This was a bit surprising, 
But given this NFL offseason, what's actually surprising anymore? Jeff Darlington tweeted out, just as we were about to hit the road on the Vanessa and Gallant radio show, which you can hear on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 every midday from 10 until t- noon, almost a two. No, we're only a two-hour show, which is actually nice. Jeff Darlington tweeted, breaking news. I just spoke to wide receiver Debo Samuel, and he told me that he has asked the 49ers to trade him. He did not want to discuss specific reasons behind his request, but he has indeed let the 49ers know his desire to leave the organization. More to come. Ian Rappaport added a little bit more from the NFL Network. The trade request came in more than a week ago, and the 49ers have been aware of Debo's feelings for a while. This is why there have been no talks. Because you would think that the 49ers would want to give Debo Samuel an extension. Rappaport continued in a separate tweet. The 49ers have been looking to make offers for a long-term deal with Debo Samuel, but he's been unwilling to engage. This is why. Unclear where this goes from here, but Samuel wanting out is the latest in big-name wide receiver drama. Of course, you saw the Devontae Adams trade from the Green Bay Packers to the Las Vegas Raiders, the contract extension that came right after it. You saw it with Tyreek Hill going to the Miami Dolphins too. Rappaport continued saying money is not at the root of the issues for Debo Samuel. Otherwise, that could be fixed with a big offer. But there are also issues with how he's used, which is interesting. First off, I don't 100% buy that first part of the tweet. Money is not at the root of the issues for Debo Samuel because he started to at least seemingly get in his feelings on Twitter right after we saw those big contracts given out to Tyreek Hill to Devontae Adams. Clearly, he feels like he is in the same conversation as those two. And honestly, after this past season, first team all pro, unbelievable production as a receiver, more production as a runner, you could see why. But Rappaport said that it could be fixed with a big offer, so money's not the issue. I'm assuming his agent is telling him that, but Debo Samuel's agent. But there are also issues with how he's used. And I'm curious about that because it feels like the San Francisco 49ers have a pretty damn good idea about how to use Debo Samuel. A guy who is fast but extremely strong and powerful after the catch, they've used him as both a wide receiver and a running back. He is one of these players that you just want to put the ball in his hands and see what happens. So now he's available. And I imagine a bunch of teams are going to look to trade for Debo Samuel. The 49ers don't have a first-round pick, so they, of course, would want at the very least that to start off with. But the Packers, the Jets, Chiefs, and Lions are... Teams who were thinking that they would be able to get him. So what's that going to cost? Because I feel like the Houston Texans should involve themselves in this conversation. They certainly have what it takes to bring Debo Samuel aboard. First off, salary cap-wise, per over the cap, they've only got about $25 million or so to play with going into 2022. But next year, they're going to have $92 million, excuse me, yeah, $92 million, $300,000 for the 2023 season in cap space. That's a ton. And that's what happens when you don't really have any big contracts on the books 
outside of Laramie Tunzel and Brandon Cooks. They also have pretty much their entire salary cap to spend in 2024. If you've noticed all the two-year deals Nick Casario has signed, they're going to have, at least as of now, $221 million in cap space going into that season. That'll obviously change when they have a couple of draft picks on the roster because those players will be under contract. And when you have multiple first-round picks, okay, that could be slightly less than $221 million. Maybe that number shrinks to $190, well before the year even begins. But they have plenty of cap space to give to Debo Samuel should they trade for him. Would he sign a long-term deal there? I don't know, but you can just slap him with the franchise tag. Is he going to sit out games as a guy who has never gotten that first big payday? I doubt it. He has no trade clause either, so he doesn't have a whole lot of leverage here. Some people have asked about that. Well, would he want to stay? Not necessarily a deal breaker for you. And if you're the Texans, you have more draft picks than anybody over the next couple of years. This coming draft, you have two first-round picks. You have a second, but two-thirds three fourth-round picks, a fifth, and more draft picks a little bit later on. In the 2023 draft, you have, guess what? Two more first-round picks, a second, three third-round picks, a fourth and a fifth. And in 2024, again, two first-round picks, a second, a third, two fourths. You have all of the draft picks. And you should easily be able to get on the table in a package whatever the Kansas City Chiefs got for Tyreek Hill. First round pick, second round pick, two fourth round picks, and a sixth in total for Tyreek Hill, the fastest player in the NFL. 28 years old, though, so who knows how much longer that's going to last. And Devontae Adams, 29 years old, he cost a first round pick and a second round pick. Debo Samuel's 26, and I'm assuming that he would cost somewhere between those two. So you're going to have to offer a first and a second at the very least, and probably some other picks too. A first and a second round pick is well worth it for a guy like this because there are so many different ways that you can use him. And look, if you're trying to get the most out of Davis Mills or you're trying to get any sort of star power on your team, this is the guy. This is one of those wide receivers who plays the game in a, I hate to talk about toxic masculinity and glorify it. Not really, I don't give a shit. But the guy is a physical freak. And likes to hit people, likes to run over people, likes to run through people, likes to block people. He's a rare physical wide receiver. Despite not being the biggest guy out there, he is somebody that wants to run folks over. There might be some hesitation over his injury history, and it goes back pretty far. 2015 at South Carolina, he missed seven games with a hamstring injury. 2016, he missed three games with a hamstring injury. 2017, he broke his fibula. 2019, he aggravated his groin. Going into the 2020 season, he had a Jones fracture during the offseason. He had a couple of hamstring injuries over the course of the year. 2021, he had a groin injury. So this is a guy who clearly misses time. And I can understand why you might be a little bit hesitant to give him a big-time contract, especially when you consider that teams that have wide receivers on massive contracts generally don't do so well. Is that contract the albatross that keeps him from doing that? Maybe it is. I don't 100% know. All I know is that if you take a look at the top contracts across the NFL until you get down to where Cooper Cup is, which is at a pretty reasonable level, you don't see a lot of players who have won championships. 
the Bucks a bit of an extenuating circumstance because with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin making a ton of money on a per-year basis, Tom Brady ultimately decided to join them out of the blue. That helps out a little bit when you have those two big contracts on the books. He is divine, after all. A lot of money for Debo Samuel would 100% be a risk, but the player they are getting, I'm obsessed with him. I have been obsessed with Debo Samuel since his rookie season in San Francisco because that year, he killed the Seahawks. He absolutely killed them. How badly? Well, these are just the numbers against Seattle from his rookie year. 13 catches, 214 yards, two rushes, 33 yards, and a touchdown. I think anyone who is a Seahawks fan right now, you're probably thrilled about the idea that you're not going to have to see Debo Samuel anymore. I know I am. That's for damn sure. If I were still following them, I would feel it even more. Because I like rooting for Debo Samuel, and I always felt weird being the guy who liked San Francisco 49er players. Not weird. I felt bullied by it. I like George Kittle. I like Debo Samuel. I'm supposed to hate them because they play for those teams. Samuel had 77 catches for 1,405 yards and 18.2 yards per catch average and six touchdowns this past season. His 10 yards after the catch per reception was by far the first among all wide receivers. Where did he rank? I think it was in total fourth in terms of yards after the catch per reception. The top 13 in that conversation, yards after reception per catch, the top 13 are running backs. So this guy's just completely different. In 2020, he led the NFL in average yards per catch, uh, average yards after the catch. Wait, hang on. (laughs) Average yards after the catch per reception. He led the NFL in that in 2020. Limited work, but still looked really good. A thing that is not the greatest with Debo Samuel, he has a higher drop rate, 15th in the National Football League when it comes to that. But he's also a really good runner. 59 rushes for 365 yards, a 6.2 yards per carry average, and eight touchdowns this past season. And his 3.1 yards after contact per attempt would tie for first in the NFL. With guess who? Rashad Penny of all fucking people. Rashad Penny actually led the NFL in yards after contact per attempt. 3.1. That's what Debo Samuel is. And I wish that there was a statistic for yards after contact after catch. On pro football reference, it doesn't exist. I get the idea that you don't, if you're the Texans, want to start putting all of your eggs into players who can play now. But the idea that you don't put any of those eggs, your draft picks, your cap space, into players who can play now, I think is stupid. If there is a player who wants out of his situation, who was a proven baller, even with a bit of an injury history, why would you not pick up the phone and make a phone call? Why would you not just ask? Why would you not ask if you can talk with him and see if you could potentially sign him to a long-term extension? See what it is that really frustrated him during his time in San Francisco. Why the fuck doesn't he want to sign an extension with the San Francisco 49ers? What the hell's going on there? I would want to have that conversation if I'm Nick Casario, and I hope that he has picked up the phone. I want him. 
I'm a little biased when it comes to Debo Samuel. I like his style of play to a point where it's one of those things I see it and I want it. Kind of like going on a car lot. You see a car that might be outside of your budget or you're shopping for houses. You see a house that's outside your budget and you're just like, I'm in love. I'm in love with this guy as a player. He's fantastic. And I think the Texans should bring him in. And I kind of wish that Bob McNair was still kicking it because Bob McNair had a weird obsession with players from South Carolina, starting with Jonathan Joseph, Jadevian Clowney, TJ Swearinger to an extent. They brought in South Carolina players. Have they all worked out? No, not really. But I think that Bob McNair had an appreciation for players who are Gamecocks. All right, another story. And this one's going to involve video. Twitch.tv slash Gallant says. In last night's Pirates-Reds game, we saw some very physical play. And it led to some controversy. A controversy involving this man who goes by Tommy Pham. He plays for the San Diego Padres. He is an outfielder, specifically in left field. He went viral a couple of years ago for uh, this quote while playing for the Tampa Bay Rays. He was asked essentially, hey, who do you credit? Who do you thank for the success that you've had to this point in your career? Tommy, lastly, from Durango High School in Las Vegas to the Cardinals to a moment like this, who do you want to thank for helping you get here? There's a lot of people I could thank, you know, but, um, you know, I'm proud of myself, to be honest with you. I remember throwing a ball against the wall, playing catch with myself, throwing a ball up, hitting it, you know, throwing batting practice to myself. You know what I mean? I believed in myself from a young age, you know. It ain't like I had a dad out there to to, um, play catch with me or, or throw me batting practice. So, you know, I'm proud of myself. Hell yeah, Tommy Pham. And who hasn't been there? I know I've been there before where your dad's not there to play catch with you and you just go in the backyard and you start throwing footballs to yourself. And that's not to say that my dad wasn't there or anything like that. I'm just saying I've been there before where dad's at work, you got no one to throw the football with in the backyard, throw it up in the air, try to catch it. Throw it downfield to invisible people. You can do the same thing with baseball too. And I think it's pretty funny that he was asked like, who do you have to thank? I thank myself. Hell fucking yeah. But Fam is an interesting guy. And you'll see just how aggravated the guy can get in a couple of moments. But let's talk about the play in question. So Luke Voigt is a massive human being who used to play for the New York Yankees. You might remember him from the Yankees 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021. But now... He has moved to the San Diego Padres. And Tommy Pham, who played for the Padres last year, is now a member of the Cincinnati Reds. Pham did not like this moment from last night's Reds-Padres game. Let's take a watch. And you got to be watching twitch.tv slash says to get full context here. So... Pirate guy hits a ball down the left field line. Red outfielder, and I believe this is Tommy Pham, goes into the corner, picks it up, guns it home. Luke Voigt is just moving like a tank around, and he slides in, and he makes some contact with the catcher. I don't think it was very hard contact, but Luke Voigt's a big fucking dude. And as you watch the replay, 
he slides. The catcher kind of puts his body in the way. And what just slides right through him. He's ultimately out at the plate. I see this. I see nothing wrong with it. I mean, he's trying to go away from where the Reds catcher is. And he dives back into his um, running lane. See, you can see he's trying to go towards the inside. The catcher's moving to the outside. And the catcher reaches back across his body. And Voight's Voight's massive frame just hits him directly in the face. Is there something wrong with that? I, I, I don't really think so. But look forward to big guy. And he's six foot three, 225 pounds. Not moving very fast down that third baseline towards home plate, but he's a big dude. So someone slides into you. Okay, that's probably going to hurt. Tommy Pham after the game was asked about that moment. And he had uh, some words and a challenge for Luke Voigt. Let's take a watch. I, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I don't like it at all. They can say what they want, you know. Um, everybody on that side, man, they know I get down. I know a place here. That I know an owner who let me use his gym. Everyone here knows I get down. I got an owner who's going to let me use his gym. Wait a second. For what? We need to settle anything. We can settle anything? So they could take it whatever. That play was dirty. I disagree with that. That play was not dirty. If you go and watch it, Luke Voigt's running down the third baseline. I think that a lot of sports that aren't football, we've seen a lot of people become a little soft over the years. Plays at the plate, they happen. And guys get hurt from time to time. But... I don't see why, if you're a big lumbering guy who doesn't have speed, why you shouldn't be allowed to use your body if you are running directly down towards home plate. I don't see why it's dirty for you to just continue to run through. The one strength, the one advantage that you have as an athlete in that situation is that you're a big guy. Maybe you'll knock the ball loose. I know that baseball has tried to get away from it, but I just hate the direction that it's gone where all of a sudden the one play where contact might happen is out because a guy got hurt. Injuries happen. Plays at the plate should be allowed to happen in this manner. Is it dangerous? Yes. So is standing in front of a pitcher who is standing up on a mound throwing a baseball 100 miles per hour at you. All sports are dangerous in some way, shape, or form. Anyway, Tommy Pham's answer continued on Bally Sports Ohio. In, in your mind, what made it like dirty? Just the the lay, his the way the way his his hands hit him, the way his hands hit him, it's dirty. As- the way his hands hit him, it's dirty as fuck. Well, let's go back for a second and actually watch this, so that we can see whether or not maybe Fam is onto something. Because you hear me, I'm not really feeling it. Here he comes down the third base line. I mean, his arms do come together at the very end. But is he not allowed to potentially push the guy's skull away from his chest? Here's here's what you got. Freeze frame right here. Catcher is diving towards Luke Voigt. He is essentially, his legs, he is losing all support from his legs to potentially keep him upright as he slides 
back with his legs going one way and his torso going in the other. And again, these are things that you can't do in real time. You can't stop. What's your natural reaction going to be if somebody is going for your chest? His hands, his hands come down. Slow to get up. I, are, are his hands coming the down the reason boy, that things went so bad? No, I don't think so. Voigt, I mean, baseball, let's watch boy, it again. Baseball, onto the baseball, but boy, onto the baseball. But I think boy. this is more about the awkward way which the Reds catcher was hit here. But if your head goes, if someone's head goes into your torso, your natural reaction is for your hands to potentially push said head out of the way. So, again, I, I don't really see this as being dirty. But anyway, let's continue to watch Tommy Pham. You know, I don't like it at all. The way his hands hit him in the face, it was dirty. If Luke want to settle it, but I get down really well. Any, anything, Muay Thai, whatever. Like I said, I, know I got an owner here who let me use his facility. So. So Tommy Pham just challenged Luke Voigt to a uh, essentially one-on-one -on -one MMA match. Jesus Christ. That's pretty intense. Is that actually going to happen? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you'd want to do that. And this is a guy who has talked about the fact that he does some MMA on the side, some combat fighting on the side before. Here he is, uh, while with the Padres last year after a game, talking about fans who apparently pissed him off. Just uh, some fans crossing the line, you know. I just, I guess, a little liquid courage, man. I, I had some some fans, you know, yelling at me, "F you, fam, F you, fam," and you know, I just don't. That, that's my issue that I have. You know, I, I don't believe that should be tolerated. Uh, in, a, in a baseball stadium, you know, when, when you start cursing, I mean, it's one thing um, different from, you know, fam sucks, you know, that that's a, that's a perfectly acceptable. But just, you know, the, the curse words I I have a problem with because that's not something. All right. Well, you're you're a year later, you're swearing while talking about Luke Voigt. But. OK, I mean, look, fans get drunk, fans do these things. Clearly, Pham's got a bit of a temper, though, as this continues. You, you would say to me face-to-face, -face, and, you know, where I'm from, in the state of Nevada, it's labeled as assault. You know, if someone comes up to me cursing at me like that, I could defend myself, and, you know. Um, <sighs> Hang on, I'm, dude. I'm very good. They could, they could assault you. Okay, you're in the middle of a baseball field. Where I'm from, you know, someone comes up to me like that. This is this is how it works, man. This is why you get paid a ton of money. There's a lot of interest. There's a lot of people watching, and people are going to get drunk and say stupid shit. You might get annoyed by it, but the fact that you could probably beat this guy's ass that's talking shit to you from the stands, that doesn't mean that it's okay to challenge the guy to a fight or something like that. Fighter, you know, I don't, I don't do Muay Thai, Kung Fu, and box for no reason. Okay. Humble bragging about the things that he does on the side. Guy's got a temper. Here is Tommy Pham colliding with uh, Hassung Kim in the outfield with the Padres, I believe, earlier that year from that press conference we just showed you. And as he goes to the dugout, he's clearly pissed off. 
I think it's about the collision. He probably, as an outfielder, called off the infielder. He's talking shit to somebody. And this makes me wonder about Fam, who is not the biggest guy, but not the smallest either. He's getting pushed away by what looks like a manager. And that's the last that we see of Fam. How's he going to do against Luke Voigt? Brought this up again. Luke Voigt, 6'3", 225 pounds. Tommy Fam size. Let's see what he is. I don't think, I think it's six foot one. Tommy Fam will wait. He's 223. Okay, so, I mean, they're, they're both big dudes. I'm just going to say Luke Voigt looks a little bit bigger, perhaps a little bit chonkier than his 225 listed of eight. I would like to see this. If Fam feels so bad about it, does Voigt actually feel the need to defend his honor or something like that? I doubt that. And I don't think it was a dirty play by him. But I would actually like to see these two go after one another. It would be entertaining. A duel that would take place in the middle of a baseball game. Because let's be honest, sometimes these baseball games are a little bit boring. Got me thinking, how did duels start? So, during the 17th and 18th centuries, Duels were mostly fought with swords, but beginning in the late 18th century in England, duels were more commonly fought using pistols. Hoo-hoo, the Enlightenment era. How about that? But it started out of medieval judicial duels. And if you've watched the movie um, The Last Duel, you saw some version of that that took place, I think, in the 1300s in the midst of the Hundred Years' War between uh, two random French barons or French noblemen. It's a good movie. Very enjoyable. You would like throw a glove on the ground. You would fight each other and God would decide who was right. France, Germany, the UK, all of them did that. And you saw this in the Renaissance as well. Dueling established the status of a respectable gentleman and was an accepted manner to resolve disputes. But it became something that was opposed in the Enlightenment era and eventually it went away. You also have Aaron Burr going up against um, Alexander Hamilton. There's a whole musical about that. There was another, in 1808, two Frenchmen fought in balloons over Paris, trying to shoot and puncture the other's balloon. One is said to have been shot down and killed with his second shot. That's crazy. In 1843, two Frenchmen fought a duel by means of throwing billiard balls at each other. Ow. <laughs> wow. But duels have been going on for a long period of time. We're not saying fight to the death. We're just saying make baseball a little bit more entertaining with an actual duel. What's wrong with that? Anyway, that's going to wrap up today's edition of the Galant Says Podcast, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, is live on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Galant Says. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. If you're a listener, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher. You can also watch the show live, twitch.tv slash Gallant says, every single weekday. I am merely Paul Gallant. So long, farewell. Have yourselves a wonderful Wednesday.